0: age old adage, communication, communication. in your marriage, with your family, with your friends, like the more you communicate, the more things are going to be accomplished. You know, I have calls with sales and operations at the same time. You know, I want to know all of the things that allows the, the dialogue to happen in a constructive manner. Everybody, you know, there's no titles, nothing, just let it rip, right? So I have this controlled mechanism for people to air out their grievances in a micro conflict. So, it doesn't become this macro conflict that takes over your whole, whole organization. And look, mistakes happen in this business every day because this is a, God, we have people running the organization. Mistakes happen. And when those mistakes happen, you have to back up your people. If your team sees their leader backing them up, the organization feels that. And they're not afraid of making mistakes. An organization that's afraid of making mistakes is going to make big mistakes. And these micro conflicts keep you from having Armageddon at your organization.
1: Leading teams can be challenging in any market dynamic, but as we've seen over the last two years, tensions have been high in the mortgage and housing industry, and that's made it even harder for sales and operations professionals to work together to drive efficient outcomes for their companies and their clients. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Jay Promisco, Chief Production Officer at Sierra Pacific Mortgage, onto the Housing News Podcast to share his experiences building strong corporate cultures where people trust each other, are willing to have micro conflicts to change things, make better practices. Jay shares his expertise that he's leveraging today in his organization and expertise that he's learned over operating in the mortgage industry over past cycles. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jay Promisco, Chief Production Officer at Sierra Pacific. So we're coming in today with a pretty strategic episode of housing news. So as an entrepreneur, I get to surround myself with other executives very often. And there's just been a trend popping up. And I see it in the mortgage industry and real estate industry as well, as when markets get harder, tensions get higher. And it becomes increasingly challenging to build team cohesion in a way that's actually productive and supports growth and efficient operations. So it's kind of like one of those things where like stress begets stress. You get stressed and people get less efficient and more tense. They don't work as well together. So I hopped onto LinkedIn and sought out an expert to come in and help me talk about their experience building and growing teams and environments that are are tough and stressful and I was thrilled that Jay shot me a note. Jay's just been on stage at Housing Wire Annual, sharing his leadership playbook. He's been such a valuable contributor to the industry and Housing Wire community. I'm thrilled to bring Jay Promisco onto Housing News to talk about building cohesive teams, intense environments. Jay, welcome.
0: Hey, thanks, Clayton. Pleasure to be here. It's a topic that's near and dear to my heart because what we do is so exceptionally hard and stressful <laughs> yep. and it's real easy um, if you're not paying attention, don't have the right framework in place for things to go off the rail. So i um, happy to help. I love the industry. I love the people in it. And there's nothing worse than hearing from a colleague or a friend that they're working out of place and it's, and it's just simply not working. Um, so I'm hoping I can provide some sort of value today. Thanks, Clay.
1: So it's a it's a stressful job because it is so impactful. So like we have this this career, this industry that done right helps people achieve home ownership, helps people achieve affordable home ownership in refi markets or home ownership period in purchase markets, but also one that Is influenced by movement in the financial markets, movement by the Federal Reserve, innovation in in technology. So we have all these forces that make it stressful. But at the core, we're still helping people with one of the most challenging uh, financial decisions of of their lives. So like it's like rewarding and stressful go kind of go hand in hand, right? Yeah, it's it's man the stuff we
0: do. You think about it. If you bought a house before, I don't even. I bought houses, and I do this for a living and I got lending and it still freaks you out. And so <laughs> like, but when yeah. you finally get in there, it, it's like the, the highs and lows, I guess, you know? So there's this, this period where you have no idea and then you finally get the keys and you go in there and you start unpacking your boxes and then it all starts making it worthwhile. So yeah, we, are, we do. And I, I had a LinkedIn post the other day where it's just, if people sat, if the, the ind- industry sat down and just like for a minute, just for one minute told their team, Hey, this is what you actually do for a living. This is the impact you're doing. Whether you're a funder, doctor, or underwriter, salesperson, like you're changing somebody's life today. And if you
1: just did that, I think the tonality changes within the organization. Absolutely, yeah. That, that reminder of why we get up every morning, why we come in on Mondays with a smile on our face, not uh, not not dreading that we're into another work week. So. Jay, let's, let's talk about you and your role. So as chief production officer, Sierra Pacific, you're right, you're right in the, the mix here of this intense environment. And you're actually in a, in a role where you can drive change um, for clients, but also for your culture. So give us a glimpse into what you're seeing right now in mortgage lending culture and like how sales and ops teams are working together. Give us a glimpse of the lay of the land. Yeah, look, it's,
0: it's uh the last two years of the industry's life, real estate, you know, finance. You talk about title companies, escrow companies, mortgage bankers. You know, two years ago, we're like, ah, well, we're going into the cycle, and the cycles are usually six to eight months long. Here we are, two years into it, and frankly, earlier in the people were just exhausted. Like, this is never going to end. You know, the world is ending. Um, people are making less money. A whole bunch of the industry got laid off. It's really hard for them to find jobs. And so the industry as a whole, no matter what position you're in, you're kind of looking over your shoulder every day, and that's that's a really uncomfortable place to be. Like, am I next? Am I next? Here at our organization, you know, we we've, we've been through our our uh, our dynamic. We didn't do, I think we've done things a little differently. You know, number one, you know, if if we did have a layoff, I didn't do it on Zoom, and you know, you know, so we were very upfront, honest about the situation that the company and the industry were going through. Um, we went through our evolutions. Um, we talked through it with our people. Um, most of them get it. And at the end of the day, what the industry has had to do, and not everybody's done this well, but we had to make drastic changes in order to survive and, and live until the next cycle you know, shows up. Um, our company runs things just a little differently, where and I've been at other organizations, but we are so transparent with our team members. So it wasn't like a shock to them. Like, Hey, we have a problem. Right. So it's, um, our, our communication and the amount of communication we provide to all team members, I think is probably overkill, but I think that's helped us through. And what it's done is it's framed the situation that, you know, if, if we get this right, and we make our changes, then, you know, four to 500 employees are going to have a situation that's going to be good for them. The company's going to survive. And then we're going to be built for when the thing changes to really skyrocket. Uh, But look, I, for the industry has just been, this is probably the worst I've seen it. And I've been through 07 and 08 because 07 and 08 were bad, but for different reasons. And it didn't last this long. (laughs) So, um, getting back to normal this is like a normal mortgage market by the way this isn't a bad one (laughs) it's just normal and kind of coming back from the highs of you know the 2021 days is is uh is a little bit breathtaking
1: (laughs) so so if you think back on your experience operating and leading teams through through multiple cycles where does it where does it go where does Communication go wrong, and and where does it? When is it done right? So give us a glimpse into like when you've seen culture and team and communication work really well, and when you've seen it done a little more poorly. Um, not not have to, to call companies into this, but just yeah. talking about like different points in the cycle that you've learned from.
0: Yeah, I think if you get down like so, what what we do? Um, I sell things for a living, right? So um, I've always. I've always thought it was important to explain to the whole company that look, our salespeople are really important, really important. In fact, until they sell something, like a loan comes in the door, I kind of don't need underwriters, and I kind of don't need finance or compliance or HR. I don't IT. I don't need any of those things until somebody's able to bring a loan in the into the, in the door. Now, once that's happened, now it's up to us to make sure that that salesperson can go out and get another one. Right. So we got to kind of take care of it from there. Now, what brings me to quite like where people get this wrong, very, very wrong where it's sales Uber alles. It's like volume, no matter what, Look, the salesperson is always right. Like, you know, we got to take care of the customer and the adage, you know, the customer's always right. It's, yes. But sometimes they're not very nice. Right. So and our salespeople are our customers too. Where I see it go completely off the rails um, is when it's sales, sales, sales. I don't care, you know, you know, Susie Funder, if you need to work twenty four hours a day, not see your family or children or any of those types of things, but you got to get these loans done. That's a that's not a good situation at all because now you have operational personnel that are under. By the way, not making nearly the amount of money that a salesperson makes, but under more pressure than the salesperson, right? um same token it's it's going and talking to you the rest of your organization not salespeople but explaining to them what a salesperson goes through and a, a salesperson's job is exceptionally hard they get t- told no you know 15 times a day um they are commission only if a deal falls apart they're like worried about making a house payment like talk about stress and oh by the way they have this referral network of people, And if operations goofs up alone and the referral partner loses trust with the salesperson, their annuity stream is hot, right? So there's a delicate balance where I think um, where it goes right is if you can get sales and operations aligned. And the only way you do that is by supporting both of them equally and not, not favoring one channel, so to speak. You need to support your salespeople, put them in a position to win, provide great service to them and their customers. But at the same token, your salespeople need to support your operations team. And that that starts with, like, so we do mortgage, like salespeople, your job. Yeah, it's to talk to people, but it's also to take a really full, complete 1003, tell a story, get your stuff in here so we can do it, and not yell and scream at everybody. Because, you know, not once in my career have I been successful screaming and yelling at an operations person. Not once, ever. In fact, when I see that behavior in my organization, I jump on it right away because that's a problem, right? That's that's going to cause not a problem just for that, that one operations person, but the rest of the salespeople in my organization because now I have an operations person that's, that's having a bad day and that's going to affect my customer experience. So it goes bad, I think, when it's sales uber I think it goes good when you have a balanced approach here. You still can you can still take really good care of the customer and take really good care of your
1: operations team, um, and, and at the same time. What are the best practices to making sure that the two teams understand the contributions they bring to the organization? Because yeah. it sounds like that's when things go south when operations doesn't understand that hey, this job doesn't isn't necessary if salespeople aren't, aren't moving product and in this case originating loans and and vice versa that the um sales team can't be successful the operations team's not their support because when that situation arises where a salesperson's angry at their ops partner i mean it's a signal of how important important quality ops are that it's that it's big enough to get a salesperson's like emotions up in arms yeah
0: i i think it's you know, age old adage, communication, in your marriage, with your family, with your friends, like the more you communicate, um, the more things are going to be accomplished. And maybe one thing that I do um, is, I, you know, I have calls with sales and operations at the same time and we let it rip. Like, you know, I want to know all of the things, right? Um, And, that allows the, the dialogue to happen in a constructive manner where it's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. hold on, hold on. What actually happened? Um, when we have a bad experience, I'm a big believer in an after-action report. So, hey, we had a bad experience. Let's, let's take care of the customer. Let's get them into their home. And then I want a meeting with everybody. What went wrong here, right? Everybody, you know, there's no titles, nothing. Just let her rip. Um, we kind of call that micro-conflict, right? So I have this controlled mechanism for people to air out their grievances in a, in a micro-conflict so it doesn't become this macro-conflict that takes over your whole, whole organization, right? Um, another thing I, I, I think I, I've been on at other organizations where there was a bad experience and in front of everybody, they're calling people out. So then people are, then you start having people afraid of making mistakes, And look, mistakes happen in this business every day because this is a – we have people running the organization. Mistakes happen. And when those mistakes happen, you have to back up your people, not call them out, you know, call them bad names and, you know, make fun of them. If your team sees their leader backing them up, you know, like even when they don't deserve it, right, you provide some grace, some empathy, like, look, I know you made a mistake. It's okay, right? We're going to move on from this. Let's get them the next time. The organization feels that, and they're not afraid of making mistakes. An organization that's afraid of making mistakes is going to make big mistakes, right? And these micro-conflicts keep you from having Armageddon at your, at your organization.
1: So, Jay, what tactics have you figured out to be able to have these micro-conflicts and like do a post-mortem when there's a mistake where people aren't afraid to like talk about where something went wrong, but it doesn't feel like finger-pointing? And I'll, and I'll share like the root of that. I think it's very challenging as a leader to get people to say like, Hey, it went wrong here. Like this, this point in operations or this person in operations, and this is not an intent to like cast shade on that person or put them in like the, um, the target for the next layoff that the the point is, so we know where the process broke so we can fix it next time. Like what's been your tactic on like building trust. You can talk about specific breakage points. Yeah, I think your your first
0: step is everybody needs to know what you expect from them first, right? So, you know, we live, uh, my company, we have one, like our pillars of success. And the one that every employee hears about every single day is do the right thing always. I don't, no matter what, what's the right thing to do, go do it. If you did the right thing, then we're going to back you up. So you have to set standards for the organization such that you expect excellence from them. Um, and then being, you know, a- accountability is a weird word. Accountability doesn't mean yelling and screaming at somebody when they mess up. Accountability means if, if it's a safe place to work, you go, you know, I'm the first person to, to admit I screwed that up. When I see a salesperson sell a product, they shouldn't have I'm like, that's my fault as a leader, because I, we didn't teach them how we should do this. If an operations person goofs up something, maybe, maybe we didn't as an organization, didn't train them enough. So it's always, it's always the organization's fault, <laughs> number one. So if you didn't train them, set standards, tell them what you expect, then that's on you, right? And so I'm the first person to say, it's probably my fault. Um, you can diffuse the conflict, say, hey, look, I own a piece of this. Let's talk about what happened. How do we make sure, it, you know, and I don't really care what happened. How do we make sure it doesn't happen again? right? So if I had example, a salesperson, an ops person blow up, the first thing I do, I stop everything I'm doing right there. And then if you let it fester and you let it, well, I'm going to talk, I don't want to deal with it right now. Let's talk about it tomorrow. No, right now on the phone, like everybody's on there. You have a moderator. It's kind of like being a counseling, talk through it. I go, okay, I understand. Great. Let's go get them sparky. It's like no big deal. I think that the immediacy of Attacking a problem is super important. Um, worrying about a problem, um, like not once in my career have I ever just worried so much it got better. <laughs> and, um, if you let things fester, you lose sleep at night, you know, it just, it just gets worse. Right. And people back to the people component, people want to be hurt. Right. They want to go ahead and let's talk about it. Let me hear about your feelings. Great. Okay. Let's move on. So I think it's speed to react. I think it's providing a safe place for people to speak. Um, nobody's worried about losing their job. That's not what we're here to do. I'm, I want to improve the customer experience, and we can do that by talking through these types of problems.
1: So Jay, as chief production officer, you are a, a leader of leaders, and you have you have people that are that have direct reports and teams that they manage. Do you find that there's different tactics? That work for you as you work with your your management and, and leadership team versus tactics those managers take to manage their direct reports, which might be, you know, frontline originators or, or ops professionals or wherever they fall in the organization.
0: Yeah. Um, my, uh, my direct reports probably say this. They know that um, I'm pretty direct. So I have um, uh, unfiltered, unvarnished view of things and I let them know that right? And so they know they're always going to, they're always going to know how I feel about the situation. It's up to them to go kind of relay it. Now I've had in my history, direct reports that um, went and fired off missiles and bombs and, you know, left body bags. That's unacceptable to me. And I corrected that behavior immediately. Right. So back to ownership, leadership by, by owning the problem. If one of my regionals or divisionals has a problem, like yeah, that's a problem. That's your problem. I need you to go fix it. It's up to you to go take care of that. And I trust you to do that. And I'm not here to micromanage you because if I, if I have to micromanage you and explain to you how to do this, then I probably don't need you. Right. So I've been lucky that the the people that work with me every day have worked with me a long time. So I don't really have to tell them. Right. So I trust them implicitly to do their job. And it's little minor corrections. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have done it that way, but that's okay. Let's move on. Um, If leaders empower their team, back to you ask the question, when does it go wrong? Uh, You know, somebody in my position hires a bunch of people and then spends every day telling them how to do their job every day. Now, that's a mistake. And people are using this industry. If you've been in a long time, there's some really, really smart,
1: intelligent people in this industry. Let them go do their job. So, so you're, I'm, you're talking I, about as an executive actually letting your team in to solve problems, and yeah. that feels like it's a common sense. It happens all the time in positive or normalized markets, but it seems like leaders, you know, pull the reins in a little bit tighter or aren't as trusting when you're at like these more challenging points in a cycle. Do you, do you find that to be true, and how have you figured yeah. out how to get around that?
0: Yeah. Um, my, my Glenn Stearns, he says, that, you know, Glenn will be the first one or I learned from him. He's like, look, I don't know very much, but I know how to hire the right people around me to make sure that I don't have to worry about all this stuff. Right. And, and I've always taken that view. I don't think I know everything. I have a view. Um, what I've asked, you know, my people like, well, how would you fix this problem? And let them be the solution. It's easy though when things get really hard. Now you probably have to pull in the reins a little bit, but golly, I see over the top like micromanaging daily calls, daily huddles, all this kind of stuff. Like, what do you, what, are, what are you accomplishing? Again, you're wasting your time as an executive. My job is to think about our future, not micromanage the you know Smith loan that's coming through every day. That's just, it's just out of my purview. Um, now. Things surrounding financial health of the company, you should be maniacally focused on that. Absolutely. Um, But, you know, the people component, managing people, rolling out policy procedure, sales tools, marketing, you
1: got to let your teams do that. So you mentioned financial health. And we're an industry that still is dominated by private players. We have more publicly traded mortgage companies than we have at any time in, in recent history, but still primarily led by private lenders. So how do you, not private lenders, but privately held companies that are independent mortgage banks. So how do you manage financial transparency? What level of detail is appropriate at level that different layers of management versus the whole company? What's been your approach to financial transparency?
0: Look, um, for my... My uh, people that work directly for me, I'm full transparency. Like, you know, we lost money. We lost this amount of money, right? We, It's okay. It's part of the industry, but this can't continue forever, right? Um, my primary job is to protect my shareholder, right? Um, we're privately held. Uh, you know, effectively, we're managing net worth of somebody. I take that pretty seriously. The company, your entire company needs to know, too, because I, I, I've been on... <laughs> heard my peers, oh, everything is great. You know, you hear some of the earnings calls, man, everything's great. And i like, well, everything's not great. You just lost $250 million last quarter. It can't be that great. And, and your people know that because they see 4,000 people get laid off. So they know there's a problem. I think you're doing a disservice to your employees because what I've found is when I let everybody know that, hey, we're having an issue, the company, the whole company is willing to pitch in and help, right? Do I... Do I need to work some overtime? Do I need to get this one done? You know, they, they start managing expenses for you. Um, and it's it's that ownership mentality. That it's just not just our company. It's your company. You work for it. Take care of it. I think, you know, not to, I think, I think some people have lost sight of that a little bit, that the company you work for that's providing value to your family and providing a living for you is important. And you should take care of that thing too. Um, but I think transparency is important throughout. Now the level of detail is going to vary. You know, I probably wouldn't talk about gain on sale margins with, you know, my ops people. I don't know if that's important or not, but, but letting them know like, Hey, we're doing good. We're doing bad. We got to tighten things up a little bit. The whole organization needs to know what's going on. I mean, it's, again, it's blatantly obvious to the industry what's going on. Some people
1: still don't get it.
0: They think ah, it's it's just a phase. Yeah, but it's a long phase. we got to get through it.
1: I mean I think the the industry dynamics that have caused some executives to go rah rah even in the hardest moments are the understanding that stress begets stress and like if a team's already feeling pressure the last thing they need to hear is that oh, we're also losing money every quarter or every every month um and then there's also maybe the longer term cultural trend in mortgage where there's a a lot of People who professionals in this industry who have taken on a free agency mentality and 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 jump across originators whether whether they're in sales or in ops r- really quickly. So how do you develop a culture where people actually have an ownership mindset, treat the company like it's their own, in a world where they've already had six recruiter calls by I don't know eleven a.m.
0: Yeah, that's a tough one. I'll try to be as um politically correct as I can. Um, this, the free agency component, like everybody, every year, all the originators jump in the college portal, right? To see if they're going to make more money somewhere. And I never got it. I, I've been two company, two companies in the last 18 years, which I would, you know, and you, you can't, you can't even figure out if you like the company in a year. You can't, right? It takes longer than that. Um yeah. Our average tenure at our organization, I've got I've got a funder that's been here like 28 years. I, it's exceptional. Like I've got account executives that have been here 21 years, way longer than I've been here. Um, what I hear from them is the organization has always been honest with them. Always, they've always done the right thing. When pricing wasn't good, they told them why. Um, if A big change needed to be made we communicated out fairly to everybody so they knew what they were getting every day and i think nobody wants to come into work every day wondering what's next like okay now what are they going to do and um we call it corporate speak (laughs) like i don't want any corporate speak here just don't beat around the bush tell me what's going on and i think a certain you don't
1: don't want to pull together and and all hands to discuss synergies before we go into our one-on-one no, maybe, no, maybe take this be. offline, line, Jay.
0: <laughs> it's, and it, it's awful. Like it's like what somebody has just got done talking for fifteen minutes, and you have no idea what they just said. Right? It provides no value. To, it's just filler, right? No, let's cut to the chase. We've got forty-five minutes. Let's get through it. Um, there are certain people, no matter uh background, education level, whatever, are always going to just rotate to the next greatest thing. Right. it's just part of their dna their personality um we set a standard like i don't want these people working here like if you're going to come here and jump don't even bother like everybody that works for my company i want them to love working here and i've told people and they're like well, i'm really unhappy and i don't want to be here great let me get you the number of a couple of my peers go work over there i don't want you here because there's nothing worse than having somebody that's unhappy in your organization why because it bleeds out to other parts of the organization, right? And I think just being upfront, honest about it and say, look, this isn't a good fit and it's okay. Like I'll still be your friend. Just go work somewhere else. Right. And I think that brutal transparency is what people like. Not everybody, not everybody likes that. Not everybody likes to, to hear that. But again, that, that makes sure everybody else that works here. Everybody's working towards the same thing, Clayton.
1: How how do you demonstrate that that long-term mentality and having an ownership mentality is also best for that team member who in other circumstances would have picked up their head and gone elsewhere? Like, how do you demonstrate that there's upward career mobility, earnings potential? Like, you don't have to jump ship to achieve all the things you want to achieve.
0: I get proof is in the pudding, I guess. I mean, you can talk about those things all day long. But just in the last year, I've had people leave the organization and, you know, they're, they've come back because <laughs> they went to go yeah. see it and they're like, ah, no, that wasn't what I thought. Cool. Come on back. It's all good. Um, you have to, to I, it, it's, it's like uh, my kids, um, you know, my, my daughter and my, my boys. I'm like, Hey, you want to go try that? Go try it. It's all good. I, I'm not going to tell you not to do that. I'll still be here for you when you don't like it. Um, but you, you you do it by number 1 you know one of the things i'm proud of is i've been here 7 years so this is my 7th year here so there's a reason for that i like working here i like the owner i like the people i work with the organization is 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 wonderfully they're fiscally responsible we're sound i know that everybody's paycheck is going to cash every day that's important cuz some of you in the industry have have seen where that isn't the case Um, and again, it's, this is a, I've always thought of it as a marathon, not a race, you know? So yeah, sure. You could be an NFL player is a free agent every two years. Sure. They made 15 million bucks or whatever, but if they stuck it out, did they have a better way of life? Did they, they stay in the same city for 10 years, raise their family there? I mean, there's, there's things that are, um, intangible, money is great. That's what we're here to do is make money, but
1: it's not, it's not everything. All right, Jay. So we know culture starts at the top. So what are some of the behaviors that you see from owners and CEOs that might send the wrong message down to the team or or the behaviors that send the right message? Yeah. I think um, some examples and I won't name names,
0: but where you'll see an entity and there's, by the way, there's some Really great CEOs in the industry, and, and you look at the top five, six, eight lenders. They're, they're strong. They they know what they're doing. I think they're doing the right things. Where you'll where I see it go wrong is in January the CEO goes, "Hey, here's what we're doing," and six months later they're doing something else, and six months later they're doing something totally different. Um, I think, and this probably this is probably not politically correct, but when you set the tone like, hey, everything is great and our names are on baseball stadiums and look at it, I'm flying around in my Learjet and look at my yacht. Oh, by the way, I'm laying off Susie Funder. That's not setting a really good tone in my view. I, I don't know um, what that does, how your people view that. Um, I think changing direction too often is a mistake because you know, business, you, you lay out a business plan, you got to give it time to work. When you're jumping from you know shiny object to shiny object every day, it doesn't allow your team to focus on anything. I think that's a problem. and then frankly, we talked about corporate speak and you know lack of a better term. just not being honest with your people. I see that a lot <laughs> a lot in this industry. and I don't frankly, I don't know how some of these people sleep at night with some of the stories I hear about other companies. Because in my view, I I, I just know how I'm wired. I, I think unvarnished truth wins all the time. And um, so those are a few, a few things. I think shifting strategy too often, big problem. Um, not being honest with your folks, big problem. Um, borrowing money you don't have to impress people you don't know, big problem. And the industry is famous for that. I remember I was telling a friend in here the other day about you know, 07 or 05, 07. And I remember my countrywide subprime account executive showed up in a Ferrari. I go, wow, we got a problem. <laughs> you know, um, the industry is kind of famous for, for
1: going down those roads. All right, Jay, we are we're looking out to 2024 right now. Um, as much as we should be making commitments and providing transparency year round. This is the you know, the time of year where people recommit to their commitments. So I just think about your leadership style and what you want to bring to your organization, the industry in 2024. What are your what are your leadership commitments you want to put out there as we as we wrap up this conversation and um hope to help the industry with a uh with some cultural reminders that will make us all better?
0: Yeah, first of all. Um, the, for the for whole industry, it's exceptionally bright out there. There is a lot of momentum going in to 24 and 25. Again, I'm long term, so I, I don't really care what happens in January or February. I really don't. Um, that's already in the cards. We have no control over those things. But what I do have control over is what the rest of 24 and 25, 26 look like. I said at Housing Wire, I've already made it through this thing. So I think we're in the bottom of the eighth, maybe the ninth inning of this cycle. And I'm still standing, and the company's still around, and we're going to be a force to reckon with for the next couple of years. Um, Some companies, again, they didn't make the decisions they should have early enough, and they're kind of freaking out. They're going to miss the next wave, and that's okay with me. I say this a lot. I love this industry a lot, uh, more than anything besides my family. It's the requirement... Um, for success in this industry is to be exceptional at your job. Um, we've seen that when the boom times happen, people come out of, you know, your Uber drivers doing loans. These aren't professionals. The people that made it through the last 24 months are the true professionals in this industry. They found a way to make it work. They work harder than anybody in the industry and they're going to be exceptionally rewarded as we move into the next couple of years. And so, um, you know, the, the industry needed a cleansing, so to speak. I think that happened. There's a if you look at the NMLS registries, there's a whole bunch of blown officers not renewing. They're gonna go do something else, and that's great for the people that are gonna stick around. You look at the real estate industry, you know, you know, the yoga teacher is probably can't sell real real estate this year. So who's gonna be left? The people that are actually really, really good at their jobs. And so the real estate industry is gonna be more professional in the next couple of years. The mortgage business is going to be more professional in the next couple of years. More people will be doing the right things. And the right thing is, is back, I talked about at the beginning, what do we do for a living? We are in charge of the largest financial transaction of somebody's life. You've got to do it exceptionally well. They deserve it. We owe it to them to do this thing right. And so, frankly, I tell my team, the future is really, really bright this next couple of years, right? That the hard stuff is over. We've been through hard. Now it's time to go, you know, reap what we sowed, all the framework we put in place the last couple of years, and maybe 24 is is a little better. But at some point, there's another market out there that we're going to be ready to attack. So that that that's what I would tell my team. That's what I would tell anybody that's left standing in this business. Um, continue to work at your craft. Continue to get better every day help your team members get better every day, hire a bunch of smart
1: people <laughs> and your life will be really, really good. Love that, Jay. So what I'm taking away there is like, anyone can get in this game. We got to have endurance to stay in the game and reap the benefits as the, the industry ebbs and flows. So uh, one final question as we kind of take to the closing line, the the prompt for this conversation was this tension we're seeing between sales and operations teams. So. As these originators who are doing the important job of bringing in mortgage applications and closing loans and the operations professionals who are doing the important job of enabling that activity and helping the organizations build efficient, efficient operations. How do these two constituencies in the housing industry need to come together um, as we come into 2024 to understand each other's challenges? What's the what's the one piece of advice that every originator or ops leader should come out of this conversation with? Yeah, at the end of the day, um, our salespeople are trying to help who? The consumer. Our
0: operations team are trying to help who? The consumer. So I think if companies focused on the consumer-customer experience every day, Uber all us, like no matter what, um, these two would get along. They would because both you have two teams both trying to help the same person, right? And you may... Each one might go about it a different way, but again, it's the end of the day. like Really good loan officers take really good loan applications. Really good underwriters are really detailed and and tell you everything you need to know the first time around. And both of us are trying to help this consumer get into a home and raise a family. And I think explaining that more and more and more, if the industry spent more time doing that, explaining what we really do every day, these teams would be working together all the time because everybody is laser focused on one commitment, and that commitment is to the consumer.
1: Jay, can't thank you enough for sharing your expertise and your experience. I think we shine some light on a really important topic in all months, and all times of the year, but especially as we come into 2024, close out 2023, and set our sights on building bigger and better and more cohesive companies. So thank you, Jay. Yeah, good luck to the
0: industry and to you, Clayton. You guys are running a really great ship. The industry really appreciates Housing Wire and all the things you're doing for us. So
1: I can't thank you enough for that. And we'll see you at the gathering coming up in April. So uh, I'm, I'm getting my plans ready for 2024 and excited to see you at our big event in 2024. So Jay, thank you. Audience, the Housing News audience, thank you all for tuning in. Have a great day. Thanks, Clay. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And a special thank you to our listeners that take the time to go to Apple Podcasts and provide a review on the show. I want to share some a quick glimpse into what some of our listeners have shared. James D. 44 let us know that this is a great series of hugely important information for any real estate professional. DC girl Kayla shared, this is a great housing podcast that provides a great variety of information and insights on all things housing. 10 out of 10, recommend. This type of feedback is so energizing and drives us forward to continue producing great interviews for you. Please take a minute to go to the Apple podcast app and let us know what you think. Have a great day.